0: It's time now for the Complete Story with Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Dick Bott with today's Complete Story. Well,
1: well Rich is traveling to several of our cities and states, uh, so here I am alone again. <laughs> uh, so I'm just going to talk to you folks, just kind of mull things over a little bit just kind of reflect on some of the things that are going on right now. My word, it, are things a mess in Washington, D.C.? And I'll tell you this, the reason they're a mess is because it really is a swamp. And a swamp did not grow up overnight. And when you try and drain a swamp, my word, every every crazy thing starts surfacing and lashing about and, and really gets crazy. And I think that's what's happening right now. I'll tell you this, folks: uh, there were promises made, promises made, before the last election, and on those promises, the people made their choice, and they elected the person that they that they wanted to to keep the promises that were made. So uh, anyway, this is a very difficult time right now in Washington. Um, if the Republicans, who ran as Republicans, would really understand that, which I've just said, and by then they would keep their promise and they would do whatever is necessary, not to make everybody happy, but to do what is needed to get our swamp drained and America back on its feet again in the world as well as putting our nation uh, at the top of the list. So anyway, let me get on with the program. Uh, Andre Crouch. I can remember exactly where I was when I first heard him sing. Man, that's a long time ago, a long time ago. But uh, I never did understand his testimony. I never understand his. I never understood his story um, until just recently, and and that only made his music and the whole idea much um, much better. Uh, Everybody, you know, comes from somewhere. Everybody starts out as a little kid. And those who grow up in a Christian home and have Christian parents, that's a wonderful thing. That's just terrific. I was with a group of young people, and I was just asking them different questions about themselves their family, brothers, sisters, all that sort of thing. And then there was a girl. She probably was about 16, maybe 17. And in answer to my questions, obviously— Obviously, things were not good at home, if there even was a home. And immediately, I wanted her to know that she can make good decisions and be the new matriarch in her family. She can make good decisions, and from her generation onward, her family can be um, benefited by, by they will look back, I said five or six generations, they will look back at grandma so-and-so who started a new page in our family, and I kind of got the feeling a little bit as I listened to Andre Crouch's little testimony here, and then he sang he sang the song, I believe he wrote the song too through it all through it all I've learned I've learned to trust in Jesus I've learned to trust in God, listen to it and sing it with me here's his testimony.
2: I'm so delighted to be here tonight, and I'm grateful for Jesus Christ and for what he means to me, and I don't know how I got here on Indian night, but I'm here. (laughs) I'm so grateful today because I can say that I have Christ in my life, and at the early age of nine years old, I gave my heart to Jesus. My father was what we call a bootleg preacher. He didn't want to own up to being a preacher. He was in Bible college, and... Um, He never wanted to be a preacher. He was a businessman. And nevertheless, the Lord kept talking to him. And once the Lord puts a hook in your jaw, you can't escape. And I remember him being invited to a little church about 60 miles out from Los Angeles, where we are from. And this was a little church, the kind of church that even had the little outhouse in the back. And there was no musician there or anything. And um, My dad didn't know whether, whether it was the Lord's will for him to be there, because he didn't want to be a preacher anyway. And um, they said, oh, this is our pastor. And they wanted him so much to uh, be the pastor of this little country church after hearing him speak that afternoon. And time went on, and uh, my uncle, which is a, a presbyter of Southern California, asked him, he said, uh, Ben Crouch, why don't you go out there and just kind of get the church organized? He said, well, being that the church doesn't have a musician, I'm gonna pray, if God wants me to be there, I'm gonna pray that God will give Andre the gift of music so he can play for the church. And uh, I had just accepted the Lord at the age of nine and th- I was about 11 years old at the time. And my dad calls me up out of the audience and says, Andre, if God were to give you the gift of music, would you use it for his glory? I said, yeah, daddy. You know? <laughs> and then he prayed for me right there. And two weeks later, he said, okay. Here you are. He just stuck me up on the piano. I began to play, and I had a bad stammering problem. I couldn't say over three words without either kicking somebody or pounding the floor, something like that. And I wanted so much to express myself, and I was so grateful for the gift of music and how God had touched my life. And right there, I knew that God was going to use me. And I was just sharing with Brother Graham how, watching some of the telecast. How I, I was so blessed and I said, oh, if I could just sing and people would be there and find Jesus, you know. And uh, it just impressed my life and put a, uh, just really enriched my life at a very early age. And now God has taken us to about 40 different countries of the world. And I've seen him do so many miracles. How Three and a half years ago, I was sick unto death, and I found Jesus Christ to be a healer. And I tell you, he's everything. And I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to tell everybody, all the young people especially, in all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. You'll never regret any moment that you've given your heart to Jesus. And a song that he's given me after a hard time in my life, a particular time I thought I couldn't sing, I thought I couldn't smile, but he gave me this little song, and I trust that it should be a blessing to you. I've had
3: many tears and sorrow, I've had questions for tomorrow, there've been times when I didn't know right from wrong, but in every situation, God gave me blessed consolation, that all my trials come to only make me strong. places, and I've seen millions of faces, but there were times when I felt so all alone. But right there in my lonely hour, it became a precious lonely hour, for Jesus let me know that I was his own. learned to trust in Jesus, I've learned to trust in God, through it all, through it all, oh yes, I've learned to depend upon His Word. So now I thank God for the mountains, and I thank Him for the valleys. stars he's brought me through for if I'd never had a problem I'd never know that God could solve them I'd never know what faith in the word of God could do but now you know I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Let me tell you that through it all, mm, through it all, yes, I've learned to depend upon his word. Every child of God here tonight, you want to thank God for every And you're through right now Well, for if you never have a problem You never know that God can solve them You never know what faith In the word of God could do But you can stand like a soldier and say To depend upon his word Through my sickness and pain I've learned To depend upon his word When the doctor walked from my bed and shook his head Right then I learned To depend upon His
1: Mr. Atheist, who do you depend on? Uh, let me let me just say this, Mr. Skeptic, who do you depend on? When it comes to the end of the string, who do you depend on? Tell you what, knowing the Lord is your Savior and knowing everything that's in His Word um, is for us. Well, that that absolutely. Now let me just say this um, on our listener comment line. Where is that? Uh, Where is that telephone number? 800-345-2621. From Arkansas or California or Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, uh, Missouri, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Tennessee, uh, Texas, and Wyoming. In addition to uh, to the, let's see here, all of the apps and and uh, the, all of the uh, audio, live audio systems, things like that. We want to hear from you because uh, when we hear from you, we know whether or not uh, we're doing what you want us to do, as far as some of these some of these programs are concerned. So anyway, that number is eight hundred three four five two six two one. Now let me just talk for a minute about America. Uh, let me uh, let me say this here. Uh, Where is that? He said, uh, President John Quincy Adams said, It is essential, my son, that you should form and adopt certain rules or principles. It is in the Bible that you must learn them and from the Bible how to practice them. And what we have going on in Washington right now is so far away from the original concept. Uh, You know, our founding fathers... They gave. They were givers. They had a dream. They had an idea. There was nothing new about the real estate. Nothing new about the ground or the sun, or uh, or the rain, or the stars or anything else. But uh, the, for America, the United States of America, they had a dream, and they had a vision, and uh, and 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 they weren't asking for anything. They were willing to give in order to have the freedom, in order to have the opportunity. And, and I made quite a study out of that during a good part of my lifetime. What makes America different? What makes America unique? And now we're hearing a lot of talk, you know, that America is just one of many, many countries, nothing special about it, and so on and so forth. But I want to tell you folks, uh, you're wrong. America was an idea, and an idea of freedom. And the men who gave us America, they weren't asking for anything free. My word, my word, my word. Now we think the federal government is supposed to give us, give us, give us. Give us a free education. Give us free health care. Give us free food. Give us and give us and give us. And when we don't feel like working or maybe we don't We aren't able to find the job we want. Well, then we say, well, look, now the federal government's supposed to take care of us then. No, 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 that wasn't the idea at all. Now, when I used this uh, portion um, a few weeks ago, so many people said, I want to hear it again and again and again because they'd never heard it before. Here's Paul Harvey talking about what the signers of our Declaration of Independence uh, went through. Um, and, and I want you to listen to it. Turn to your radio up, here it is.
0: Americans, the how and the why of our beloved republic are so much better known and understood than the who. The United States of America was born in 1776, but it was conceived 169 years before that. The earliest settlers had watered the new world with much sweat. They had built substantial holdings for themselves, for their families. And when the time came to separate themselves from a tyranny an ocean away, at best it meant starting all over again after the ravages of war. Researching what you're about to hear gave a whole new dimension to my reverence for our nation's first citizens. All others of the world's revolutions before and since were initiated by men who had nothing to lose, nothing to lose. Our founders had everything to lose, and nothing to gain, except one thing. Hello Americans, I'm Paul Harvey. You remember the Cherry Tree Fiction. A long time after you have forgotten the more earth-shaking history-making episodes in the life of George Washington, you have misplaced in your memory the details of ben franklin's statesmanship but you remember his flying a kite joyce kilmer was a great military hero but the only thing you personally recall about him is his poetic tribute to trees Maybe of this current decade, that which will be remembered best, will not be its wars and its moon rockets, or its crumbling frontiers, or the giants who lived and died. Maybe all that'll survive to linger in the day-by-day vocabulary of generations yet unborn may be the, the songs of a Memphis minstrel, or the reincarnation of electric automobiles. But for any eve of the 4th of July, I, Paul Harvey, do herewith bequeath unto you something to remember. You may not be able to quote one line from the Declaration of Independence at this moment. Henceforth, you'll always be able to quote at least one line. It's in the last paragraph where you will recall when I remind you, it says, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. In the Pennsylvania State House that's now called Independence Hall in Philadelphia, The best men from each of the colonies sat down together. This was a very fortunate hour in our nation's history, one of those rare occasions in the lives of men when we had greatness to spare. These were men of means, well-educated, 24 were lawyers and jurists, nine were farmers, owners of large plantations, On June 11, a committee sat down to draw up a declaration of independence. We were gonna tell the British fatherland, no more rule by redcoats. Below the dam of ruthless foreign rule, the stream of freedom was running shallow and muddy, and we were gonna light a fuse to dynamite that dam. This pact, as Burke later put it, was a partnership between the living and the dead and the yet unborn. There was no bigotry. There was no demagoguery in this group. All had shared hardships. Jefferson finished a draft of the document in 17 days. Congress adopted it in July, and so much is familiar history. But now, King George III had denounced all rebels in America as traitors. Punishment for treason was hanging. The names now so familiar to you from the several signatures on that Declaration of Independence, the names were kept secret for six months for each. Knew the full meaning of that magnificent last paragraph in which his signature pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. Fifty six men placed their names beneath that pledge. Fifty six men knew when they signed that they were risking everything. They knew if they won this fight, the best they could expect would be years of hardship in a struggling nation. And if they lost, they'd face a hangman's rope, but they signed the pledge. And here is the documented fate of that gallant 56. Carter Braxton of Virginia, wealthy planter, trader, saw his ships swept from the seas to pay his debts. He lost his home and all of his properties and died in rags. Thomas Lynch, Jr., who signed that pledge, was a third generation rice grower, aristocrat, large plantation owner. After he signed, his health failed. His wife and he set out for France to regain his failing health. Their ship never got to France, was never heard from again. Thomas McKean of Delaware was so harassed by the enemy that he was forced to move his family five times in five months. He served in Congress without pay, his family in poverty and in hiding. Vandals looted the properties of Ellery and Clymer and Hall and Gwinnett and Walton and Hayward Rutledge in Middleton. Thomas Nelson, Jr. of Virginia, raised two million dollars on his own signature to provision our allies, the French fleet. After the war, he personally paid back the loans, wiped out his entire estate, and he was never reimbursed by his government. In the final battle for Yorktown, he, Nelson, urged General Washington to fire on his Nelson's own home, which was occupied by Cornwallis. It was destroyed, Thomas Nelson, Jr. had pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. The Hessians seized the home of Francis Hopkinson of New Jersey. Francis Lewis had his home and everything destroyed, his wife imprisoned. She died within a few months. Richard Stockton, who signed that declaration, was captured mistreated. His health broken to the extent that he died at 51. His estate was pillaged. Thomas Hayward, Jr. was captured when Charleston fell. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside while she was dying. Their thirteen children fled in all directions for their lives. His fields and grist mill were laid waste. For more than a year he lived in forests and caves and returned home after the war to find his wife dead, his children gone, his properties gone, and he died a few weeks later of exhaustion and a broken heart. Lewis Morris saw his land destroyed, his family scattered. Philip Livingston died within a few months from the hardships of the war. John Hancock, history remembers best due to a quirk of fate rather than anything he stood for, that great sweeping signature attesting to his vanity. Towers over the others. One of the wealthiest men in New England. And yet he stood outside Boston one terrible night of the war, and he said, burn Boston, though it makes John Hancock a beggar if the public good requires it. So he too lived up to the pledge. Of the 56, few were long to survive. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes from Rhode Island to Charleston, sacked, looted, occupied by the enemy or burned. Two lost their sons in the army, one had two sons captured, nine of the 56 died in the war from its hardships or from its more merciful bullets. I don't know what impression you had had of the men who met that summer in Philadelphia, but I think it's important that we remember this about them. They were not poor men, they were not wild-eyed pirates. These were men of means. They were rich men, most of them, and had enjoyed much ease and luxury in their personal living. Not hungry men, certainly not terrorists, not irresponsible malcontents, not fanatical incendiaries. These men were prosperous men, wealthy landowners. They were substantially secure in their prosperity. They had everything to lose. But they considered liberty, and this is as much as I shall say of it. They had learned that liberty is so much more important than security, that they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. And they fulfilled their pledge. They paid the price, and freedom was born.
1: See, now that is exactly why freedom is so important. Freedom, not the free stuff, but freedom to grow and to build and to do and to go. Um, Man alive, (laughs) If, if, if we don't have freedom of the individual and along with that, the responsibility of the individual and a moral climate in our culture, in our society, well, my word, we are just back where we don't want to go and we don't want to be. Now, listen, folks, here, is the, here are the words, once again, of a judge as he is swearing in immigrants to become United States citizens. Now, I didn't say illegal, did I? Because illegal is illegal. No, 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 no. These were legal immigrants who had come here to become Americans and they wanted to join with us, they wanted to be part of us, and they wanted to salute the American flag as their flag and be contributors to society, not takers. And so here is the words of the judge, and turn your radio up, it's just beautiful, as these people become one of us American citizens. Here it is. I hereby
4: declare on oath, That I absolutely and entirely entirely renounce and abjure abjure all allegiance and fidelity fidelity to any foreign prince, prince potentate, state or sovereignty, sovereignty of whom or which which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen, citizen. that I will support and defend defend. the constitution and laws laws. of the United States of America America. against all enemies, enemies. foreign and domestic, domestic. that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by the law. That I will perform non-combatant service in the armed forces of the United States when required by the law. I will perform work of national importance, I of national importance. Mm-hmm. Under, civilian under civilian direction when required by the law, by the law. Mm-hmm. and that I take, and I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation, any mental reservation. Or, purpose or purpose of evasion. So help me. I welcome you all to the fabric of American society as American citizens. You may wave that flag. In <laughs>
1: mm. that, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Because now each and every one is free to express their religious faith, or not at all, if that's their choice. Uh, they are free to go and to work and to get a job. That's one reason why I'm so, I'm so supportive of having good schools where children are not locked in a zip code, where they learn nothing. And history shows that when that kind of a system holds a child down and tells them they're hopeless and they're helpless and they're dumb as a doornail from the time they're a child, what do you expect then when they grow up other than to be angry and to just kind of fly out and they have no home, they have no parents They have no mothers. They have no fathers. Everybody is out after self. So anyway, but in America, in America, we can vote. We can demand that our leaders absolutely do what they promise and stick to the guidelines of what the federal government is supposed to do as opposed to the state government, as opposed to the city and the county and the municipalities. Well, you can see where I'm going here. Freedom... Freedom to express our faith in Christ, freedom to preach the gospel, freedom to raise children up that will be a blessing to their neighbors and their community as well as to their parents and their families. Uh, God bless you, folks. This is Dick Bott with this chapter of The Complete Stories of Public Service, and I'll see you later.